Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, April 30th, we are studying 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 to 21. St. Peter gives the purpose of his second epistle. He wants to remind his readers of the truth that they know. It is the truth that they've received from the preaching of the apostles, those men who are eyewitnesses of the saving work of Jesus. It's the truth that's proclaimed in the prophets, those who wrote the word of God under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us Pastor Jason Schockman. Pastor Schockman serves at Prince of Peace Lutheran Church in West Salem, Wisconsin. Pastor Schockman, welcome to Sharper Iron. Glad to be on the on the radio with you, Brother Apple. As we get started this morning, let's talk a little bit of context. We've covered the sure. first text here in Second Peter. What do we need to know about the the epistle, the previous text, going into the verses we've got for today? Well, so I actually think the very opening of verse 12 uh, kind of forces us to go back, right? Um, uh, as, as Peter starts verse 12, he says, therefore, uh, I always, when I see a therefore in scripture, I always want to stop and say, what is the therefore, therefore? Right? What's he pointing us back to? Uh, and, and in the opening, like really, uh, verses 3 all the way through 11, Peter is just laid out for his readers, uh, for his listeners, right? Uh, That Christ has given them in his powerful grace all they need for life and godliness. And that grace uh, is not ineffective, right? That it has caused them uh, to, with these great promises, to become partakers of the divine nature. Right. So they can turn away from sin. They can walk away from the corruption of the flesh and live in this grace. Uh, uh, in verses like five through seven, he talks about how this incentive or this grace is the incentive. It's the motivation. It's the power for godly living and for virtue. And that living in this godliness, uh, as he gets into verses eight through eleven, right, that living in this godliness It doesn't earn salvation, quite the opposite, because salvation has been given, because this powerful grace is theirs. This grace, which they know, right, uh, that is to be the, the evidence of that grace is the virtue of their living. And so this, therefore, at the beginning of 12, uh, is Peter saying, therefore, I want to remind you of this grace, of this gospel, and the virtues that flow from it, because eternal life is at stake. And these are not small. Uh, these are not small things that we're dealing with. It's not just you know a good moral and be- and, and and a life of good behavior, but it's pursuing a virtuous life because you have the gospel, right? And because that gospel will be seen then in your living. Uh, and, and 
as he continues into this section, right? We'll, and I'm sure we'll dig into it, but he, he's making sure uh, that each and everything that he's taught them, the gospel, right? Primarily the gospel that Christ has died and Christ has risen and Christ will come again. Mm. Uh, and that's going to come up in our text that these promises and this action of God on their behalf is what undergirds all of it. And this truth they cannot sway from. Mm. Fantastic introduction. With with that, let's just dig right into the text. That sets the stage for what Peter's going to write here. We are in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. The apostle writes, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder— since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, And the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's our text for today, Second Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 21. There really is a lot that we could talk about today, Pastor Shockman. Let's, let's see where, where we go. Therefore, I always intend... I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. One thing that comes up in that verse, and it comes up a couple times in this first section, is the idea of reminding. Peter Peter wants to tell his readers, his hearers, that which he's told them before, this reminder. You know, he says again in verse 15, the idea of reminding comes up that he wants them to be able to recall these things. What's, why is this such an important theme for Peter and and for the scriptures as a whole, really this reminder of God's word? Yeah. Well, so how easy is it for us to forget, right? Or to think that, oh, we got the basics of this, so we can move on to other things now. And what we end up leaving behind is the very nature of the gospel, because we, as we move on to try to you know, move on to new things, we make it about us. Welcome to the sinful nature, right? And yet this this truth that Peter is trying to or wants always to remind them of is the work of Christ for them. Uh, I, I regularly will tell a congregation here uh, at Prince of Peace that uh, it's not about you, right? It's all about Jesus for you. That even our lives reflect that it's all about Christ for us. This stir you up, right? That, that phrase that gets translated that way. Uh, the, the Greek there is actually um, uh, a, a word that is most often translated as wake up. 
to awaken, to arouse, right? To, to arouse the mind, right? To call back to mind. And then in 15, when he mentions it again, uh, at any time to recall these things, uh, you know, I really think that Peter is laying a foundation to say, look, memorize the Bible. Mm. You know, don't make this something you have to be reminded of, but memorize it. Know what this effective word says. And, and really, this this whole section, 12 to 21, Peter is absolutely emphasizing the reliability of God's word, uh, that the God's word. This word that is inscriptured for us is the basis of our faith. It's the basis of our communion together as believers. It's the basis of how we come to be one with Christ as God works through his word to bring us to himself in baptism, as God works through his word to keep us in faith. right? As he works through his word in the, in the sacrament of the altar to strengthen us in faith. But it's always his word that undergirds it all. So stirring us up at any time to recall it, uh, the things that we know, right? he's always referring back to this is the word, the word of God that is given to you. And he's going to he's going to hammer that again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. As we get as we get into the, the next little chunk here. Um, but he is really making it all about the power of the word of God to sustain us, to uh, keep us in faith, which then flows out into our daily living. You know, the, the, the thing I often hear is, uh, you know, oh, the Bible, that's great. It's good. It's good old ancient words, but, but we need life application. Uh, (laughs) Okay. Uh, So how, how does that work? Right. What do you mean by life application? You mean, you want to know where the gospel intersects with your living. Well, you're only going to know that if you're actually in the word and have constantly that reminder of Christ for you and all that he's accomplished for you in the word and the promises that are yet to come because Christ has made them sure. Mm. You, you mentioned that it seems Peter might even have in mind the idea of memorizing the scriptures. And, you know, we, we Lutheran pastors love to tell our confirmands, you need to memorize this Bible passage. You need to memorize this from the catechism. And, and these days, and this I think is not only true, you know, just in the church, but on a larger scale, educationally, it seems that memorization is no longer in vogue that that's, you know, why do I need to memorize things? I can just Google it right here and I'll find the answer. Yeah, Why? Until you don't have Wi-Fi. That's right. That's right. Or cell service. So, right. well, and, and maybe that, that starts to get at some of the answer to this. Why, yeah. why is it that we as Christians should retain memorization of the scriptures and, and theology? Why is that so important for us? Well, uh, what do we know? Uh, we know the world hated Christ. And in fact, they crucified him. Uh, we, know, we know that we who are in Christ are going to be treated the same way by the world. Uh, so, yeah, you can rely on the fact that you can Google it, right, or you can look it up, uh, but you are you always going to have those resources? And in the moment of, of trial, in the moment of questioning, in the moment of, uh, you know, the middle of a, of a hurricane, uh, the minute of a tornado touching down, uh, the minute of, of crisis, in that moment when you, when you need hope to cling to, do you have it in your head? 
Do you have ready access to it? Are you, as Peter says, able at any time to recall these things? That's huge. That's huge. To be able to know this is what the word of God says, right? That that the God of all hope has has filled us with all joy and peace and believing that by the power of the Holy Spirit we may abound in hope. Mm-hmm. Boy, that's a verse to lock into your head. Mm-hmm. By the way, that's that's Romans 15, 13. Um, not at all our text, but <laughs> right. Definitely one of those verses that you can put in your head and just hold on to. And this is this is what we know is coming. Uh, Peter is dealing with all kinds of false teachers that have come into the congregation and are trying to, to turn the people away from the sure and certain word of God, to cling to other ideas, to stand on uh, other teachings that may be more in vogue in their day than these ancient words. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, there, there is, there is nothing more sure that we can cling to. And I think, and, and, well, if, if I can and, just real, yeah, just real yeah, quick, because I mean, this idea of, of, of memorizing and having it ready there, uh, some of the, the context that Peter's dealing with isn't all that different than, than what you or I deal with as well as Christians still today. You know, I mean, think about, I, I'm, so I want to know what second Peter one says. So I Google it and, and I Google it and what comes up. Well, certainly I can find the text, but I could also mm-hmm. find any number of interpretations of the text, some mm-hmm. which, some of which are bound to be less faithful. How, how do I know, you know, where, where's, what's going to be that grounding? I need to have that word of God in my head, in my heart, so that it's there on my lips when I need it. I mean, and this is, we we just can't underestimate this. And I think that that ties into what you were talking about with the words here, uh, let's see, there in verse 13, the stir you up, you know, know, stay awake, uh, have your mind ready. This has been a theme in this epistle already for for second Peter. And it was a a big theme, I think in first Peter as well, that, you know, he used that picture in first Peter one that I just keep coming back to. He talks about girding up the loins of your mind, you know, I mean, so, so powerful of an image. And then of course the, perhaps a little more famous passage in chapter three of his first epistle, you know, always be ready to make a defense, to give an answer. I mean, this has been a a theme for Peter all along. Go ahead. And there it is to give an answer for what? To give an answer for the hope that is in you. Hmm. Right? That that's what he says, right? To give an answer for the hope that is in you. And what is that hope? Well, he touches on it here in Second Peter, right? He's talking about his time in the body, right? He talks about it as a as a tent, right? The putting off of my body. Uh, I, that he knows he's gonna die. He knows he's not gonna be in this world forever. And hello, here's the temporary nature of this world. But the promise that Christ makes is this is not the end, right? And he's actually going to touch on that uh, uh, in verse 16 as he starts the next section, right? When he talks about uh, we didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word coming, that is a very technical Greek word, right? Uh, It's parousia. That's second coming talk, right? That's Jesus returning at the end of days. Uh, and, and on that day, boy, how important is it going to be that we know the promises, that we know the hope that is in us, that this, 
joy and peace and believing that has undergirded our our virtue and our living isn't about works righteousness. It's about Christ's righteousness given to us and trusting the promise that he has made that regardless of our circumstance, he is coming back. Yeah, I mean, it'll be important on that day to, to have this, but it's also <laughs> right. important on this day, too, which— Every and, day. That's right. Yeah. And and for Peter, as you mentioned, you get this little bit of—a bit of autobiographical material here in these first couple of verses. You get a, a feel for where he is. You know, he, mm-hmm. he knows he's about to die. He's recalling things that Jesus had said to, to him. He says, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear, I, I wonder if yeah, he's got in mind yeah. those words from— it's John 21 where, where yep. Peter's been reinstated, yep. you know, and, and yes. maybe he's reflecting on that. And yet in the midst of all that, where, where is his focus as an apostle and even just as, as a pastor to these people to whom he's writing, you know, he Being wants the them to know it's, oh, I mean, it's just yes. amazing. He's doing what Jesus told him to do when he reinstated him. Feed yeah. my sheep, follow me. And he's, and he's hammering it for his hearers. This is what it means. Mm. To be fed is to know the word. Mm. To follow after Christ is to trust in him in our daily moments, in, in, our, in our joys, in our, in our struggles, in, in the moment to moment, you know, day to day life application. It's the gospel mm. Mm. that calls us to live in Christ, that calls us to the promises Christ has made. That we live in them, and this is one of the, another one of those like you know big hairy theological things is the now and the not yet, hmm. right? That right now we live in this abundant grace that Christ has poured out on us it, by virtue of our baptism, by virtue of Christ calling us through the Word, uh, and, and and yet we long for that day, right, when Christ returns, when all things are made new. When, when bodies are resurrected and bodies and souls are put back together and, and the, the coming of Christ and his glory happens. But until then, right, we wait with this eager anticipation. And I think, uh, you know, we've touched on this already, but in, in our day, there's not a lot that's different than it was for the apostles, right, than it was for the early church. The difference, though, I think, and I think this is why Peter's hammering at it is we've that, you know, the, the apostles, the early church, they were waiting on with bated breath, standing on tiptoe, looking for the horizon of Christ's return. Hmm. As the church in the 21st century, are we, do we have that same kind of longing? Do we have that same kind of, uh, eager anticipation of the second coming. Hmm. And I think in a lot of ways, we've been so distracted by the world. We've, we've not been calling to mind the word of God and the promises that he's made. And, and we've, like you said, you know, we've kind of left it to Google to find it for us uh, that, that we've kind of lost that connection to the promise of the not yet. Hmm. And how, how impacting is that anticipation for the daily and you know everyday moment to moment decisions that we make? I think that really ties in again back to First Peter, 
where yep. he, you know, he addressed the recipients of that letter very specifically as the elect exiles. And, yeah. and that theme showed up in several places in First Peter, and it's, it's likely he's writing to the same churches here, even though he doesn't specifically mention them. He's probably writing to those same elect exiles. I mean, a big part of First Peter, then, is, is reminding those elect exiles that, that this place is not ultimately your home. You're, you're right. journeying to the resurrection. And I mean, it, yeah. it just is, it's amazing how Second Peter is just picking right up where First Peter left off and really yeah. hammering home that same theme of you know, what does it mean for you to live as an exile right now, looking forward to the home that's yours in the resurrection. He's, he's still teaching. He's still doing that same reminding here. Yeah. And, and, you know, right before our text, uh, he, in verse 10, he says, you know, therefore, uh, be all the more diligent Right, to make your calling and election sure, right? And that's not talking about, again, that's not talking about earning salvation, but letting it be a, a indwelling part of your daily living, hmm. right? That you, you, may, you, you don't make it sure, but you, you because it is sure, you, you let it impact everything as you live as a, as a exile in this world, right? As you live as a sojourner, uh, moving toward the resurrection, uh, you know, and you got to go back to the, to the very first verse where he, he says, you have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and savior, right? Your righteousness is not yours. It's Christ's given to you. Uh, Again, back to my little, it's not about you. It's all about Jesus for you. Right? And even Peter, as he talks about knowing that he's leaving the body, knowing that his departure may come at any time, uh, he wants to them to be able to recall that grace they have obtained, that, that faith they have obtained because the gospel has come to them. Now, he, he reminds them of how that gospel came to them. And, and the yeah. first thing he reminds them is, is his own preaching. And actually he does, he does switch here from the first person singular, the word I, now to the yep. first person plural, to the word we. we. So, yep. you know, we didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to, we've got a couple minutes here before our break. I want to go into that word coming again a little bit, because as you, you yeah. identified, and I don't think this is readily apparent in English. I mean, honestly, when I when I read this in English, and I think, okay, what's Peter saying here when he says, you know, we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ? I'm thinking, oh, he he preached Christ crucified and risen, you know, the the saving work of Christ. But really, it, when you look at it in the Greek, that word coming is what Peter is saying is, remember what we preached to you? We preached to you how Christ is going to come again. And, yeah. and as you, I mean, as you were talking earlier about, you know, have, have we lost some of that same anticipation? And I'm thinking about my own preaching. I, mean, I know I, I preach a lot about Christ crucified and risen, and that's not wrong, but I don't know how often I, I would be able to say, you know, I've been preaching to you that Christ is going to come again. I think this is a, an area where we can recover something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, I don't know about about you or, or all all of our you know all of our eavesdropping listeners, which I'm so grateful that they're there uh, to hear the word and be strengthened in it. Um, I I have just a laundry list of medical issues, right? <laughs> uh, I joke that my body has fallen apart and God's got me on layaway. He's just taking one piece at a time. 
you know, uh, it, welcome to the temporary nature of our world, right? Yeah. Uh, so for me, it's a very personal thing that I am longing to be made whole. I am, I am ready for Jesus to come back. Uh, I, I say that with a little fear, with a little trepidation, because uh, I know I'm still a sinner, right? And I know, I know I could do a whole lot better uh, in terms of this virtuous living that Peter has been talking about. Uh, but, but I always want to keep on the forefront of, of my mind that he's coming back. Right? He, he made that promise. I don't know how many times in the gospel of John, he says, and I will raise you up on the last day mm. again and again and again, the, the church, the early church, they clung to that. And, and kind of a way that I try to, I, I, as a pastor, try to, you know, inculcate my people with that same anticipation uh, is readily. I will in the midst of teaching, right. Come across something that has something to do with, with the return or, or with the, the last day, and I'll immediately go one, two, three, and then look up at the ceiling and like look around. Hmm. Yeah, it never works. Right? It, <laughs> I, I never am right when I count it down. And, and, and know right, that I, as soon as I start counting, I already know that I'm wrong because God has promised us that, or Christ has actually said that no man knows the hour of my coming. So as soon as I start counting, I already know I'm wrong. Right? And the irony of that is not lost on me. And yet, uh, I want to keep counting. I want to keep that anticipation. I want to keep that that eagerness to see the return, uh, because that's the ultimate goal of our faith. Right? It's and I think in a lot of ways as church, we've kind of in, in and you're right. Uh, you're right in in preaching Christ crucified and risen. We're not wrong to preach that. That's good. But then what's the promise, right? Is the promise that Christ is crucified and raised? Well, then we kind of grab a hold of that promise of, okay, so when I die, I get to go to heaven because Christ was raised from the dead. I get to have eternal life and I get to go to heaven. That's only part of the story. And I, and I think, uh, particularly Christianity in America with its many variations, right? We've kind of glommed on to that kind of Gnostic idea of the gospel that uh, we can, when we die, we're set free from the body and we get to be with Jesus. And that's the goal of our faith, but it's not, right? The goal of our faith, the ultimate fulfillment of our faith is that Christ keeps his final promise to return on the last day and that all the dead will be raised and the dead in Christ will enter into eternal life. And that is a very physical living. It's a body and soul reunited humans as they're meant to be, Uh, you know, and this goes all the way back to Genesis, right? God makes Adam out of the dust. He forms him with his own hands, right? Got his hands dirty in the process. Um, But Adam's not Adam until God breathes the breath of life into his nostrils. And then he becomes a living being, body and soul together. So it's not that we are a body and we have a soul. It's not that we have these two separate things. We are created as souls, body and soul together. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and 
the the promise of Christ, the promise of his work for us, where he says on the cross, it is finished, right, is the promise that in his death and resurrection and ascension is that he's coming back. Yeah, yeah. coming Histori- back. Historically, yeah. right, the church has historically, the church has almost made a bigger deal out of the ascension than it has out of Christmas, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there, Pastor Shockman, and I, I think we need to make a bigger deal of the Ascension, too. And, and maybe we can pick up that more on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFO, looking at Second Peter chapter 1 with Pastor Jason Shockman. Take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, April 30th. We're looking at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 21 with Pastor Jason Shockman. He serves at Prince of Peace Lutheran Church in West Salem, Wisconsin. Pastor Shockman, prior to the break, we were talking about the importance of Christ's ascension, Christ's return in Christian proclamation. And, and you mentioned Christmas. The, the way that I, I really think you can't understand Christmas fully without Christ's ascension and Christ's return. And the way that I I like to say it is that at Christmas, we rejoice that God has become a man. God has become our brother. And at the ascension, we rejoice that this man, our brother, reigns as God. And then, of course, that, that culminates, as you said, in his return. And so we should keep preaching Christ crucified and risen, no doubt. But but why is that so important? Because he's ascended he's into heaven and he's coming back. Exactly. Keep going. Yeah, because he's coming back, right? And when he comes back, he's coming back as he ascended. This is this is what the angels proclaimed to the apostles right there at the ascension, right? He's coming back as you saw him go, he's coming back, which means he's coming back as the man who is God. And all that that means for us as human creatures waiting for the resurrection, waiting for that ultimate uh putting all of his enemies under his feet uh, where death is defeated where life is is what reigns and there is no more no more sin no more disease no more sickness no none of it creation is put back together the way god intended it to be in genesis 1 when he looked at everything that he had made and said this is very good now, Peter, in order to continue his his text here, he says, you know, this is what we preached to you. We yep. we preached the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason that, that we preached that is because we saw it. We were eyewitnesses. And the, the event in Jesus' life that Peter picks out to use is the transfiguration of our Lord, which, you know, in the apostolic preaching, say, in the book of Acts, I don't think the transfiguration of our Lord really makes it into too many of the the sermons that are recorded there. 
But at least here, Peter does it. He uses the transfiguration as his uh, sermon text, if I can, if I can say it that way. Yeah, what sure, is what sure. does he highlight here about the transfiguration, and why is it that the transfiguration is important in the whole context of this second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ? So again, I mean, it's it's crucial because this is the moment when Peter sees the fullness of the God Man. Right. As, as you said, at Christmas, we see God become man. And at Ascension, we see man who is God reigning over the church. Right. And this is so this is Peter saying, look, this is the fullness of it. And not only is it that he is uh, receives honor and glory from God, the father. Right. But it's about his coming. It's about his return, that, that this is important. Uh, he received honor and glory. He uh, was spoken of by God himself, right? Uh, being publicly declared as the father's son. Uh, all of his divine majesty being on display. Uh, and that, that phrase, that next phrase he gives of the majestic glory, right? That's a, that's a Hebrewism uh, that is pretty specific in its, in its use. It is referring to uh, God the Father being uh, seen, if you will, but indirectly, right? Uh, and often among the Jews, uh, when they would talk of the Father, they would do so indirectly by using this phrase, the majestic glory, right? It's kind of that idea of the, uh, sometimes we hear of like the Shekinah glory, Right. It's kind of that idea, but it, it's very specifically about the father. Right. That this this God, the father who created us all, he is the one who bore his voice from heaven to say, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. The, he spoke that one other time at his baptism. Mm-hmm. Right. But here on the Mount of Transfiguration. It is crucial. It is just amazingly wonderful to hear this promise that this is my son with whom I'm well pleased because there's no sin in him. Hmm. And if God is well pleased with this man, then this man is the one who alone can deliver and restore that which God intended to be. Right. And we get this, right. That, in the fullness or in Christ, the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. So we, we know from other scriptures that Jesus is both God and man. But Peter, uh, he experienced, he saw, he heard, and, and was an eyewitness of the very revelation of Christ as the God-man. So essentially, I mean, when Peter brings up the transfiguration, he's, he's saying, look, I, this matter of Christ coming again— I saw it ahead of time there on the mountain, yep. along with James and John, of course. I mean, again, he switched yeah. to the the first person plural here, the we, which I think we. is is important. You know, I mean, given some of the context of the false teachers in yeah. this in this area who are denying these kinds of things, Peter is in effect saying, "Look, I didn't make this up. I saw it, and not only me, but these others saw it as well. We we saw this. We heard it. We." We experienced it ahead of time that Jesus is the one who will return to judge the living and the dead. Now, what's amazing about this, and, and this gets me, I think this is this is one of the appointed texts for Transfiguration Sunday, at least one yep. year in the three-year lectionary. 
what what always just amazes me about this is what he says in verse 19. After he has related his his own experience and the experience of James and John along with him there on the mountain, he I don't think he backs off of it, but he backs oh, it no. up with something else. Yes. Take us into verse yes. 19. Okay, so 19. Uh, and we have the more sure prophetic word. Uh, and and the, the Greek of this is is actually quite direct. Uh, and we, we our English translations kind of mess with it uh, as though it's a, um, uh, how do I want to say it? As though the, the, there's a there's a greater value to the prophetic word than there is to this revelation of Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. And I don't think that's what's going on. Right. Uh, more so, he's saying, if if I ever doubted, if I ever had question of my own experience, if I ever um, wondered whether what I really saw was true. Right. I have this thing that makes my eyewitness testimony all the more certain the prophetic word. Well, what's that prophetic word? It's the Old Testament. <laughs> it's the prophets that God spoke to that all said, this is what the Messiah is going to be. This is what the Messiah is going to do. And and the, the Jews of, G, of Peter's day had missed it. They were looking for a Jesus that wasn't a suffering servant. They were looking for a Jesus that would be a, a, a political and military leader that would restore the glory of the kingdom of David not a savior who would come to deliver them from their own sin. Uh, and so this more sure prophetic word, it's my testimony isn't mine. As you pointed out, he talks about we. But the we isn't even just me and James and John. It's all of this scripture that's been written and handed down to us. And to this, we do well to pay attention. Oh, wait a minute. Go back to 15. Mm. at any time to recall these things. Well, which things? The gospel truth that you have, the, the truth that you know. Why? Because eventually we're going to put off our bodies. But, but, but why, how do we know this? Well, because back to verse one, we have obtained a faith that is in equal standing by the righteousness of Christ. Right? Mm. And it, it, if we're going to cling to that righteousness, We've got to have a source of truth that is certain. Hmm. And at times we may doubt our eyewitness, right? At times we may not necessarily understand what we see, but we have the word. And it is a lamp shining in a dry and dark and desert place. Hmm. And it will shine in that place until when? Until the day dawns. Yeah. Well, which day is that? The parousia day, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Until the last day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This is until Christ himself appears. And we know, get into 20, right? Knowing this first of all. So knowing of, of first importance, that no script, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. And you brought this up earlier, right? That if we just Google a text, uh, we can find all kinds of different applications and interpretations of a text. But the word itself didn't come because some guys decided this is what we want the Bible to say. 
The word itself didn't come because uh, somebody interpreted by their own experience or because they felt a certain way about something. They thought this should be true. No, it was produced by God speaking through these men who recorded these words that we may know for certain that this eyewitness testimony is true, that we might be able to recall it at any time, that we might know this truth that has been established in us because of Christ for us. That matter of the way Peter talks about his own eyewitness and ear witness. I guess, I don't know if that's the right word for it. I couldn't yeah. think of it. Okay. So <laughs> I like it. <laughs> his own eyewitness and ear witness experience there on the Mount of Transfiguration and then moves into this sure prophetic word. The, I was reflecting on this recently in one of the, the texts for the season of Easter comes from Luke 24, where Jesus appears to his disciples after his resurrection on Easter evening, you know, and he shows them that he's alive. He shows mm-hmm. them his, his wounds. He eats in front of them, but mm-hmm. he doesn't leave it at that. He, he goes mm-hmm. on there to then open their minds to understand the scriptures to tell them precisely what Peter is saying here. I mean, Jesus tells his, his disciples there, look, guys, it's all about me. As you've been saying, you know, yeah. it's not about you, but it's all about, and this is Jesus, it's all about me for you, right? That's yes. There in Luke 24, Jesus really does the same thing, I think, that Peter's doing here. He gives them the eyewitness and ear witness, yep. and thanks be to God for that. But he doesn't leave it at that. He right. founds it upon the word that the prophets had written down beforehand and tells them that's what it was all about in the first place, and here it is in front of you, for you, and now go preach it. And this is the same thing he does on the road to Emmaus. Yes. Right. The, the afternoon of the resurrection, right? The afternoon of Easter Sunday, as he's walking down the road, the Cleopas and the other disciple, we don't know who that is. Uh, and, and, uh, and he, 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 he opens their minds beginning with Moses and the prophets to say, boys, don't you know all the stuff that's happened in Jerusalem these last three days, it's been foretold. It's always what this has been about, this plan of salvation that God has enacted from the very beginning, from Moses, which means from Genesis, right, <laughs> all the way through the prophets until now. And this is, this is I think, part of what sometimes gets missed uh, in, on that road to Emmaus account. Because Jesus takes the bread and he, he blesses it and he breaks it and he gives it to them and their eyes are opened and they know it's Jesus. And we get wrapped up in that, oh, in the breaking of the bread, they see Jesus. And we do too in the breaking of the bread of the Lord's Supper. But the thing that sticks out to me in that road to Emmaus story is the comment that the boys make. Weren't our hearts burning within us as he opened the scriptures, as we talked along the road, right? The word of God, when it is brought to bear to be about Jesus, there's power in that working word. It is a living and active word. And these guys who had hung out with Jesus, who knew well the story, you know, the events that had unfolded, uh, it wasn't just a narrative to them. They lived it. But it didn't have meaning for them until the scriptures were applied to it. Until all of the scriptures were viewed in light of 
the resurrection. And even their confession to Jesus, as they don't recognize him yet, is we had hoped, past tense, we had hoped that he would be the one. And then Jesus just blows their minds, right? (laughs) Well, you were right, (laughs) but they still don't see him until he breaks the bread. And then he's revealed to them in the breaking of the bread. And that, that is not something to downplay at all, right? That in the word and sacrament, Christ deals with us, right? And this, this actually takes us uh, into uh, the Lutheran confessions, right? In the small cult articles, um, it's, uh, it's actually in part three and it's article eight. It's the article about confession. Uh, and, and here we read uh, d- over paragraph 10 uh, that we must constantly maintain this point that God does not want to deal with us in any other way than through the spoken word and the sacraments. And whatever is praised as, quote unquote, from the spirit without the word and sacrament is the devil himself. Whoa, those are strong words, right? But as you continue down in that in that section, uh, the, the, the Lutheran fathers actually pulled this verse, right? Verse 21, uh, that no prophecy of scripture was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So without the outward word, right, without this prophetic word, we got nothing. We can, we can feel all the good feels that we want, but without this prophetic word, we're standing on no foundation, mm. right? So much less, he continues, much less would the Holy Spirit have moved them to speak on if they were still unholy. That is, if they did not have the Holy Spirit speaking through them, but they were holy because the Holy Spirit spoke through them. Mm. And this is, this is why all the more it's important for us to know this word of God, to be sharpened by it, uh, as the title of our program uh, indicates, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? That, that the first thing we need to know as we approach the study of the scripture, uh, and I, I jotted this down in my notes, right? Uh, he calls them to uh, know this first of all, so that of primary importance, before we engage in the study of the scriptures, we got to know this. We gotta know this. And this is God is the one who has inspired these words to be written for our learning. It is God who speaks through the, the prophets. It's God who speaks for us through the apostles and their writing. Uh, and this isn't the first time Peter's come up with this either. Right back in First Peter chapter one, uh, he talks about uh, the prophets and how. Um, the prophets, I'm just going to go back and look at it real quick. So I say it rightly, uh, concerning this salvation, uh, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or what time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And the subsequent glories, by the way, aren't just the resurrection, but it's the resurrection, the ascension, and the return. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. 
the the prophets themselves didn't understand all these details. They diligently searched. They longed to look into these things, or they did look into these things. That actually, uh, verse the next verse, uh, actually, um, oh, it's not the next verse. It's there. The angels are the ones that longed yeah, and yeah, looked yeah. into these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. You you were picking up where I was going. That's you right. meant what I knew. That's right. <laughs> right? Uh, the, the angels, angels themselves, they long to look into these things, right? And the picture I kind of paint of that is uh, if if the narrative of our salvation is passing by, uh, is is there uh, as a landscape to be viewed through the Word of God. Right. Uh, and, and and the angels have an approach to it. It's almost like you took a, a box car on a train full of angels and it's driving past this landscape of salvation. And in this box car, there's just one little window up in the corner that the angels can get a peek out of. And they're like climbing all over each other, trying to get a peek out of this window to understand the salvation that's unfolding before them. Uh, yeah. Uh. Because, in fact, they don't need to be saved. They don't need this salvation. The holy angels of God aren't affected in the way that we human creatures are affected by sin. We are the ones that need the salvation. We are the ones that long for its full unveiling. And it's not just us, but Paul would talk about it as all of creation groans as in birth pains waiting for the revelation of the sons of god and and what's the very next phrase the redemption of our bodies right so even paul talks this way Hmm. the ultimate goal of our faith is the resurrection our resurrection which happens on the day of christ's return Hmm. right and so we are just again and again here in this text by peter pushed beyond our own existence, our own temporary living, to trust in the promise of the coming of Christ, which we know is sure and certain, because even if our own experiences don't point to it or or can be questioned, the word of God is sure. And again, I think Peter's dealing with false teachers that are that are telling his hearers, hey, you know, yeah, Peter claims to have experienced this eyewitness thing on this mountain. But, you know, there was only three guys up there that can actually testify to whether or not it was true. And how easy would it be for three guys to lie about it? So here's what really happened. Hmm. You know, or here's what you really need to know. And, and they're drawing people away from the, the goal of our faith. The resurrection promise that Christ is returning, right? that the morning star will one day rise in our hearts. And, and until that last day dawns, uh, it's actually Luther who said, um, we must have the light of the world and cling to it until the last day. Mm. I, because I, then, we will, then we will no longer need the light of the word. Right? Right. We'll no longer need it as an artificial light. <laughs> yes. Well, and I think it's, you know, I think it's no accident that that's the image that Peter uses here for the yeah. the word of God. You know, he's he's picture he's preached about Christ on the mountain of transfiguration when he was yep 
brightly shining more brightly than you or I can imagine. And and yet mm-hmm. now he uses that same image for the word of God. It is amazing how how wonderfully Peter uses his images, both in his first and his second epistle. And, yeah. and he does so here too. You, you know, you were also talking about the the men on the road to Emmaus and how their hearts were burning. You know, I mean, Peter's got that same thing here. You to go back up to what you brought up earlier about the stirring you up, that that's, yeah. that's what Peter wants for his readers, for his hearers. In, in this text is that same word of God that made the yeah. hearts of those men burn for it for it to happen for for his hearers now and and still for you and for me today as, as Peter said like you know he's making every effort so that after my departure well that Peter has died and is with Christ awaiting the resurrection of the dead and and yet still you and I our hearts are burning at the word of God that that Peter wrote here too and that's one more just real briefly I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned that the word of the apostles in this as well that that their word is also inspired by the Holy Spirit you know think of the promises yeah. that Jesus made in the Gospel of John and and not to steal someone else's thunder but later in this very epistle where where Peter will say you know Paul's writings are other scripture, right? <laughs> so I don't want to get too far afield and, and, and steal the thunder from that guest later, but you know, I, yeah. that's really important too. Pastor Sean, we've got about three minutes here to any last comments to wrap things up on this wonderful text today. Oh man, where to even start to try to just give it a, a, a summary. Um, you know, I think, I think it, it's fair to say this. Sometimes as Lutherans, we get accused of, of uh, not, not regarding feelings. Right, that we're just about the word, and and feelings aren't important, and and it, okay, I understand that. Uh, Any, I've even been accused of that, right? Uh, but at the same time, I'm like as emotionally based as males get, uh, you know, uh, and and you know, as we have been talking, yeah, I'm I'm, boy, I'm fired up, and it's because Peter and Peter says that he wants us to be stirred up. Right. The, 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 the Emmaus disciples, they were, their hearts were burning within them because of the word. Right. I'm all totally on. If your feels are all stirred up because of this word of God, that's great. That's great. But we don't trust our feelings. We trust the word of God. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think today in this culture, when people are defining truth based on how they feel about something, it's all the more important to know what the foundation is that we stand on and that light that we are drawn to in the darkness of our lives, right? It's yes, it can draw some wonderful, powerful feelings out of us, but we don't trust the feelings. We trust the word. That's the truth that we stand on. Pastor Jason Schockman is the pastor at Prince of Peace Lutheran Church in West Salem, Wisconsin, helping us today with 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 to 21. Pastor Shockman, thanks so much for being our guest today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about 2 Peter or Jude coming up next in this series, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. We love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.